So if Roe v. Wade is overturned, what are the implications beyond abortion? Well, that's a great question. Hey there, Pulse Check listeners. This is Annie Reese. I'm Lauren Gardner, and I cover the FDA for Politico. The draft abortion opinion published last week has renewed urgency within the FDA to approve over-the-counter birth control. On the show today, unspooling a possible future without Roe v. Wade, where blue states want to become abortion state havens, and whether birth control is at risk if Roe v. Wade is overturned. We saw this week with our our colleagues in the states reporting on this issue, there are a lot of blue states that are trying to make themselves, quote unquote, safe havens for those seeking abortions in neighboring states where either they're believed to be on track to implementing new restrictions on abortion should the Roe v. Wade decision that we saw with the draft opinion come down that way. Mm -hmm. But as, as our colleagues in the states reported, that's easier said than done because This is going to take, much like anything else, a lot of money. We're already seeing, specifically with Texas, neighboring states in that region are already seeing a huge influx of patients trying to access abortion services, given that that state already implemented their six-week rule restricting abortion access. So this is going to be a big issue going forward, especially once we see exactly how the justices come down on this. So in a state that becomes an abortion haven, if Roe is overturned, like would those states feel any impact from the Roe decision? They have laws that say like abortion's legal. They have money funneling in. So like would they feel an impact? Oh, for sure. They'll feel they'll feel the impact just strictly on people coming over their borders to try and get abortion services, you know, regardless of whether they're they're a citizen of that state. Like I said, with Texas, you're already seeing that. So then it becomes an issue of, okay, how do you make sure that you're helping provide those services to people, you know, regardless of, of where they live, but also just making sure that there's just enough resources to perform the service in general? There's already a crunch on the number of providers of abortion services. And mm-hmm. just because you get rid of that access in a state doesn't mean the demand goes away. So you're going to see that demand get squeezed around, squeezed in the states where they have those kinds of restrictions that will either go into place upon Roe v. Wade being overturned or presumably would quickly thereafter be because of state legislative action. And then you're going to see that demand just kind of I'm trying to make a visual <laughs> a visual <laughs> representation of, of what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, it's like uh, it's like wringing out a washcloth, right? The water's got to go somewhere. It's going to go into those other states that's, that surround the ones where the restrictions are harshest. So if Roe v. Wade is overturned, what are the implications beyond abortion? Well, that's a great question. And one of the big things that struck me was how much President Joe Biden has relied on his reading and many legal scholars reading of the Ninth Amendment and the implied rights to privacy that that amendment embodies. And one of the big things that he's focused on throughout his career, going back to his time on the Judiciary Committee in the Senate and the Supreme Court nomination hearings for Robert Bork was, you know, the interpretation of that in his reading, you could extend it all the way down to decisions that Americans make in their daily lives within the walls of their own home with respect to how they want to manage their their families. You know, do they use contraception to help manage 
when or whether someone gets pregnant. Same applies to same-sex relationships, the right for couples to make those decisions between each other themselves in the privacy mm-hmm. of their home. Um, mm-hmm. So the argument has been that this reading that we saw in the draft opinion is that this is just the tip of the iceberg and it could go much deeper than just abortion rights. Now, of course, the opinion in and of itself says that this is just focused on the issue of abortion, but you can't really predict where things will go once this legal precedent is changed, right? Mm -hmm. There's certainly no line in the sand that anyone is putting out there saying, oh, no, we will never touch the right of Americans to use contraception. So um, that's definitely something that advocates of access to contraception have taken note of. And that's playing into their effort now to raise awareness of, hey, there's been this effort for several years to try and make certain birth control pills over the counter to increase Mm -hmm. access to this type of medication to all sorts of people, young people who may not feel comfortable or be able to get doctor's appointments to get a prescription, low-income workers who may not be able to take time off of work to go to the doctor to get these prescriptions. So Mm -hmm. this equity question is now also coming into play with the issue of, you know, making sure that contraception remains accessible to Americans, regardless of what might be happening in the courts. But like you were saying, right now, birth control is prescription only. But there's this move that it seems like with you've been writing that maybe within the next few months, it may be available over the counter, which is just kind of interesting timing, given everything. But Why has it traditionally been prescription only and why has it been so contentious within the FDA to have it be approved as over the counter? Yeah, well, the the timing, just real quick on the timing, that's purely coincidental. Just because, like you just said, this has taken years to work its way through the FDA process to switch what's long been a prescription medication to potentially being over the counter. And this is pretty typical of any sort of prescription that's moved from being behind the pharmacist's counter to being available on shelves at your local pharmacy or grocery store. Think Mm -hmm. of allergy medications that you used to have to have a script for that now you can just go buy Claritin, no big deal. It's a similar process where um, the companies in question here, there are two who are trying to get their birth control pill formulations made available over the counter. You know, they've both been talking to FDA for the last about six years or so to get a sense from FDA, okay, what sort of studies do we need to do? What what do we have to prove in an application to the regulators? And the crux of it here is that it has to be safe and you have to be able to, in the labeling, make it very clear to the consumer how they're supposed to use the product. Those who are big proponents of moving these birth control pills over the counter say, This is a slam dunk. Birth control has been available for about 60 years. So there's plenty of safety data. Also, pretty good data on how people use it and how effective it is. So basically what these companies need to do now is conduct a variety of studies. So once this coterie of studies is complete, then the companies can package up all the data formally apply to FDA for an over-the-counter designation. And uh, from there, once an application is submitted, FDA has about 10 months to either approve it or uh, turn it back. We talked a little bit about how overturning Roe v. Wade has implications beyond abortion. It seems like activists really fear that 
you know, things like birth control, IUDs, Plan B could be next. Is there evidence that some states are, are really looking at birth control and Plan B? Well, Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves was specifically asked about Plan B and IUDs when when he was asked, you know, whether birth control was the next legal fight for his state. He demurred on that. But if you look at the positions of some anti-abortion groups out there, they do take stances on various birth control methods. Uh, for example, some groups like Students for Life America, they take a position on certain types of birth control, like hormonal birth control, pills, also IUDs, intrauterine devices, but they don't take a stance on so-called barrier methods like condoms or diaphragms. So if you have a group out there that is taking that kind of stance, you know, could they use that to pursue legal action in the future? It seems entirely possible. Whether they actually would, though, uh, of course, I can't say for sure. And that's something that I think only time will tell. You know, you mentioned that the the efforts that are happening to make birth control over the counter have been happening for years. And it's just kind of this coincidental timing. But with all of this swirling around, is the FDA in a tough position or what position do they find themselves in? Well, they're already getting pressure from Democratic members of Congress to not let any of this outside political noise interfere with their decision making, which sounds kind of ironic, right? But what they're trying to say is let the science speak for itself. Rely on the science. Don't rely on the politicking that inherently surrounds this issue. So, of course, they're they're coming at that because, as they say, and as I mentioned before, there's decades and decades of data showing that birth control pills, hormonal birth control is safe and effective. So their perspective is that should be what drives the decision on FDA's part. And if they follow the science, they should be able to make the call on whether this becomes over-the-counter. We've already seen with mifepristone, which is abortion medication, you know, FDA has already taken steps to make that more accessible over the course of the pandemic. Patients don't have to go in person to a provider anymore to get the medication. Mm. And FDA, including under the leadership of relatively newly installed Commissioner Robert Califf, they've maintained that they stand by that decision and they're not looking to change that anytime soon. So Califf has been very upfront with stating that FDA believes that the science is clear on that point. And if he's making that argument for mifepristone, I would imagine that FDA is going to try to do everything in their power to shield the reviewers of an eventual application on over-the-counter mm-hmm. birth control from all of the political mess that this topic engenders. Mm-hmm. One thing I'll definitely be watching, I mentioned that two companies are trying to get their pills made over-the-counter. One is believed to be further along in the process than the other, and it comes down to the formulation of their birth control pills. So pretty in the weeds, but you know anyone who's a consumer of hormonal birth control or who has been um, mm-hmm. may be familiar with the term combination pill versus mm-hmm. progestin-only pill. And the progestin-only pill is the one that seems most likely to move forward for, with a formal application more quickly. And that's because it's considered to have a less likelihood of adverse reactions because while birth control is very safe, there are some some populations of 
people who should probably avoid certain types of birth control pills. So if you're over 35 years old and you smoke, or if you have badly controlled blood pressure or some sort of blood clotting condition, you might be advised to avoid a combination pill. So there are just a few more concerns with that specific type of pill. So once that starts moving forward with the process, I'll be very interested to see how FDA deals with these very particular issues with this very common medication that a lot of people have some sort of familiarity with. Like there's, I think, a general understanding that, oh, there's a risk of blood clots with birth control, but it's very rare. Um, But there's certain groups of people where that is more common because of some of those conditions that I just described. So I'll be really interested to hear how this whole process works out in terms of the labeling and, you know, how they come down on trying to make it clear to people, hey, this is how we're going to write the label to make sure that these groups of people don't necessarily make this their option or they ask some more questions before picking it up off the shelf. All right, that's our show this week. I'm Annie Reese, and a huge thank you to Lauren Gardner from our healthcare team for joining me. Pulse Check Senior Editor is Raghumana Valen, and our executive producer is Jenny Ahmed. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you again next week. <laughs>